everybody, and welcome to another episode of iWolves. What are we talking about today, Kelly? Today, since we're all here together in one place in one time, which is a rare occurrence. Unlike other iWolves, you mean? Well... Sometimes. Me and Kelly and I have. Oh, you mean the year as a whole. In yes, that's true. Um, no, you, you've been gone a lot, and we'll be gone a lot more this year, and you're off doing something that you haven't done in a long time, in the U.S. at least, to my knowledge, which is you're doing workshops, active workshops with dogs in them, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think I, well, I haven't been to one of your workshops in years, actually, since you did some in Japan. France? Um, you came to one in France? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been to a few, I suppose. But um, it's been a while, and I am not even really sure what you're doing in workshops these days, and I'm pretty sure that most <laughs> people, also here in the U.S., at least, and maybe abroad, don't really know either. So, what is Nia Dunbar workshop? Yeah, like? what's up with that? Well, what's up with it? The why? I mean, strangely, yes, I, I've been doing workshops in Japan every year, and every other year in France. Um, the last three years I've been concentrating on this science-based dog training with feeling thing um, and chatting to people and I guess it's made me realize that people aren't training their dogs off leash like we used to. I mean you know when Sirius started like 30 odd years ago and um, then 15 years on from that I mean training was so much fun everything was off leash and we played games and the dogs would just, it seemed to me to be friendlier back mm-hmm. then. And from going round, the the you sound like the guy in the Yes, article. I do. It's like, <laughs> but I said seemed to be. Yeah. Um, but what I certainly know is from talking to people, they're not teaching their classes off leash. And, what kind um, of classes? Oh, the puppy classes okay. and then a, a, adult classes. The whole point, you see, of teaching a puppy class is you do puppy one and then they go into puppy two mm-hmm. and then they bring them back to your puppy three classes. Well, they're adults now, but you can teach the class off leash. So how do your workshops and fit into this whole... Well, understand the, 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 what that means. Like why an adult dog can be off leash. Well, because you know he's got bite division. Yeah, and, and so that if he gets in a scuffle, um, he's not going to hurt another dog. So now what we can do in class is just limited by our imagination. Whereas if we take a, if we start a class with say twelve adult dogs we've never met before, um, you're going to take a long time to get them off leash because it takes just one dog. So, so are your workshops off leash? Yes. Yeah. Well, I do. There's a lot of on leash stuff when we start. So in a three day workshop, I'll usually spend about three quarters of a day looking at the dogs because you can pick out the problem dogs because they're, they're on leash at that point. They're all on leash. They don't... Because you don't know these dogs, no, right? These no, are strangers to you. So in the... Uh, I mean, they're self-described, sort of self-selected as being friendly. We tell people these are We tell them these are workshops for friendly, people-friendly, dog-friendly, quiet dogs. It's to learn obedience skills and games and manners and to dance with your dog. But I know there'll be a couple there that will be dog-dog reactive, and there'll be one there that's dog-human reactive. Yeah, okay, so again, I think you should repeat that. So what is the primary goal of a workshop right now? That the owners learn the skills of having their dogs off-leash in a group of dogs, yet they can control their dog at a distance when distracted with verbal control. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the owners, I find, if you've you've trained your dog on-leash, if their dog, say, runs away from them, so like in Australia, we had a dog diagonally across the room, a bauble runs and takes out a golden retriever. And um, I'd seen him eyeballing, 
And, and the bauble had great bite ambition. So a, a little nick. Okay. <laughs> but who had been eyeballing? The the, the bauble had been eyeballing the goldens. Mm-hmm. Um, but the owner. Nobody got hurt, is what you're saying. No, no one got hurt. But the owner just stood there, and it happened. Mm-hmm. And I had my cardinal sin. I was in a situation where I didn't see it. Okay. So I was saying you must develop the skill that if you think if your dog's looking at another dog, take two steps backwards which turns your dog's butt towards the other dog and have your dog sit. Mm-hmm. And you stop that happening. Because if your dog continues to stare and takes one step, he becomes increasingly more difficult to stop until eventually he's running at top speed and he's 25 yards away. So you've got to do something. Mm-hmm. So I like to teach these emergency skills. But we teach them by playing games. So when you play a game, the owner loosens up and uh, they get motivated, and the dog gets motivated, and they throw out these incredible performances. But what the owners don't realize is, when you're playing a game, they are under absolute scrutiny. They are being objectively quantified. I mean, what better objectively quantifies behavior than a game? Mm-hmm. There's only one longest sit. There's only one quickest sit. There's only one longest down say, one quickest recall, and so on and so on and so on. And so you're teaching them the skills and to be animated, and whenever they lose their dog's attention, they just say, hey, 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 come here. It's something that has disappeared from dog training. And I find, when we look at consequential feedback, so what do you do if your dog does what you want, or what do you do if your dog doesn't do what you want, it's all a load of gizmos now, and including a lot of food, which I brought back and repopularized 30 years ago, but people aren't using their voice. Mm-hmm. You know, they click, they treat, they buzz, they shock. They aren't using their voice, and that's what I want to bring back from training, um, so that people can talk to their dogs. It's the best way, because the voice provides instruction. So, you know, let's take the example of, say, a punishment. Um, no, jerk on the choke collar, a shock. <laughs> All that tells the dog is what you're doing is wrong. But that's not what we want, is it? It's so incomplete. We want to communicate three pieces of information. What you're doing is wrong, here's what you should be doing, and how potentially dangerous what you're doing. So we can do that with voice, because we can say, Robert, sit. So that dog was about to jump up. So I explained to him, because I I interrupted him in the jump up, he knows, well, Ian doesn't want me to jump up, and he knows Ian wants me to sit. If a dog's running towards the street, I can say, sit! Three pieces of information. One is, I don't want you running away. Two, I want you sitting. And three, the volume indicates urgency. Mm-hmm. Because we have prior training, we've trained the dog that if I shout, it doesn't mean I'm angry. It means better treats. Mm-hmm. So you would say to the dog, sit. Thank you. Sit. Good dog. Sit. Good dog and a treat. Sit. Good dog and three treats. And then sit. Good dog, chicken skin, salami, cheese, and roasted lamb. Do you do that in the workshop? We, yeah, we have to. You have to reverse tone and volume mm-hmm. for both uh, praise and for reprimands. Otherwise, if you have an emergency command like sit or down, the first time you shout it, the dog's going to say, I don't think so. You're shouting at me again. You've got these anger management problems. I'm just going to continue running. And it, it doesn't work. So we use games to teach the owners off-leash training skills We start very basically, on leash, showing the owners what your dog doesn't know. Mm -hmm. So we will do a sit test, for example. 
And then I just did one in British Columbia. It, it was just fantastic because we had, I selected the best eight dogs there by the elimination process. We had some brilliant dogs. Mm -hmm. uh, Protection Shepherd, he was wonderful. And then a little miniature Schnauzer with a fantastic, um, oh, a man. So there was two male handlers, my, actually my two favorites. And they were brilliant. And so what I say is, your dog knows sit, right? Oh, yeah, they say. And then I explain to them, no, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Or I'll do something simple, like I'll hold the dog's leash and have the owner turn their back and put their nose on the nose of an opposite sex person. And I say, right, tell your dog to sit. If he sits, I'll say, good boy. If he doesn't sit, keep telling him. So the nose-to-nose -nose thing is to spook them out. So they say... Spook the person out. Yeah. So they say, Rover, sit, covering their mouth, you know. Because <laughs> the dog doesn't sit, but it's what it does is fascinating. He looks at the owner's butt like it spoke. He cocks his head and everyone in the audience laughs yeah. because they will repeat the word sit. The dog doesn't sit five times. Then I say, turn around and ask your dog to sit. The dog does it instantly. Right. So I then ask the audience, is the dog being disobedient? Because many trainers would say, if the dog doesn't sit, you jerk him, you beat him. Mm -hmm. But everyone says, no, why? Because every command he acknowledged, he's looking at the owner's butt. Yeah. He's just never been trained to sit when the owner's back is turned. Contextually, it's a very different picture. Absolutely. And then I say to the owner, look, if your dog doesn't sit in this room, mm -hmm. when you're just one yard away and your back is turned, what makes you think the dog would sit if his back is turned and he's 45 yards away chasing a rabbit? Mm -hmm. And they get it, and then they think, and then I tell them, and that's when you'd get pissed off and probably go to a shop collar. Mm -hmm. Whereas I can show you the problem in this room. So it takes, say, from working dogs and pet dogs, the unsolvable problem out there, it brings it back into the safety of the room, and we deal with it. And at the end of the three days, by and large, we have reliable dogs off-leash. So showing, showing instructors or, 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 or dog owners how to get reliability without physical corrections, without any physical mm -hmm. tools or... The no aversive stuff at all. The only aversive thing you would do is if your dog is just well, running towards no. another dog, you would shout. Okay. But So we are shouting, but prior training we've taught the dog that the shouting just means right. urgency. It sounds interesting and useful. But it also sounds the way showing them what their dogs don't know. At the, like the yeah. first step is showing them what that their dog doesn't know yeah. as much yeah. as they think it yeah. does. Yeah, it, it actually sounds a little clinical and boring the way I just described it. Let me just say... Everyone is laughing and giggling, the dogs are wagging their tails, we're playing games, and we're running right. around in this fancy dress, and it's just... I don't a, think it's not a clinical or boring. boring. Well, thank you, Jane. Yeah. But um, once you're there and you see it, you think... How I many dogs in a workshop? Um, 64 is the number I like. Um, maximum. That's your optimum number. Well, because a lot of games are eliminated. Oh, so you do lots of stuff. So, like, oh, you know, so you can have a goes down to 32 to 16, 8. So it's uh, Dr. Dunbar's March Madness? So, yeah, we bet you've done it. Yeah. So we work out who's the fastest dog in the room, who's yeah. the longest sit-stay in the room. So I love 64. It's a manageable number, and you've got the fabric there with all the different dogs to pick out this dog for this demo and this That's one for that. That's a big workshop. And people observing yeah. would also get such a wide array of... You actually, you learn far more if you're observing, because then you can see everything that's going on. If you're there with your dog... You're nervous you're, about your own dog, well, your performance... Well, owners start off nervous, but I get them really... Um, I get them to feel good very, very quickly, because in, in British Columbia they were like, we're worried about coming to the workshop with all you've said, and I said, no, you're going to have a great time, <laughs> and they do. Um, but if you have your dog there, you're paying attention to your dog. So Are you, you don't you're doing see a few of these this year, and I'm not asking for the benefit of 
Oh, I, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm doing them. Really um, coming up in uh, Houston. I, I just did Australia, Canada. Then we got Houston, and I'm doing now. I'm not doing do these multi-day seminars anymore. It's going to be workshops or one-day seminars. Mm-hmm. So stuff. workshops all over Fun the states, England, Europe. Three, three on the East Coast. I think if you want the, yeah. the exact dates and locations, you can go to James and Kenneth. <laughs> <laughs> all right, shameless plug. All right, well that sounds very uh, interesting. It's an informative yeah. piece of information. Yeah. It's useful. <laughs> well, very good. Um, maybe uh, perhaps I'll attend one as an observer at some point. <laughs> It'd be good oh. to see that. Yes, good to or see you. come as a handler <laughs> with Zuzu. <laughs> well, you can show everybody Zuzu's lightning re- and Zuzu's emergency recalls are something to behold. I've yeah. never seen anything like it. I mean, they're fantastic. Oh, you know, have you along as my demo handler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs>